Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week is Dylan Nussbaum, a walleye tournament pro. Uh, Dylan fishes the NWT, and uh, you know if you follow that at all, you're very familiar with who he is. If not, Dylan is a young man. He lives over in Pennsylvania, and he travels the NWT, uh, or the National Walleye Tour, and he's had some really great successes uh, away from his home bodies of water uh, in the last handful of years. And in this interview, I'd really just wanted to get to know Dylan. It's his first time on. And so I just wanted to, you know, kind of figure out what makes him tick and figure out what his fishing style and strategies are and the stories, the tournament stories, uh, the pre-fishing stories, and just all the things that he has learned and that are meaningful to him in his fishing style. Because, uh, you know, there's a lot to take away from these guys that have success, even the young guys that have success on that level, it's definitely, uh, you know, there's definitely something to it. And figuring out what make these guys, makes these guys tick is meaningful to me and definitely lets me know some areas uh, in my own fishing uh, decision making and in my own fishing style that could you know, use a little bit of improvement uh, or a lot of bit of improvement. You know, listening to guys like Dylan talk, I took so much away from it, and it makes me realize some of the things that I need to do better for sure. If I just want to be a more proficient, a more skilled angler that either catches more fish or even nicer fish, I think those things go hand in hand. And, uh, you know, just the way listening to the, the stories and the way that Dylan likes to fish and just listening to his life experience and how he learned those things and just the, the meaningful fishing experiences that he's had in his career to kind of learn and develop into the angler that he is today I think there's so much to take away from this interview Uh, I know I did uh, and I really appreciated Dylan's time for it so again let's just get into this here this is like just like all things walleye fishing and even if you don't fish walleyes I guess honestly just the style of fishing that Dylan has would make you fishier regardless of what you fish for but we've got walleye fishing with Dylan Nussbaum from Pennsylvania NWT Pro Let's get into it. This episode of the JML Podcast is brought to you by Montana's Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Department. As anglers, we have the ability to help protect the wonderful fishing opportunities in the state of Montana. For more information on regulations or AIS prevention in the state of Montana, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That is fwp.mt.gov backslash AIS. I want to get to know you like where where do you come from where did you cut your teeth in fishing you know what are some of your earliest memories or experiences that you feel like influenced you the most to get you to where you are today a passionate tournament angler you know you're a young competitor like like how did you become who you are today go ahead yeah, so I am uh, from St. Mary's, Pennsylvania, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, definitely not known for uh, a lot of walleye fishing, especially um, just the little reservoirs we have around here. Walleye fishing's, I mean, really not a big deal, but pretty much when I started fishing um, was when I was old enough to walk. Uh we did a lot of trout fishing, fishing streams, uh, just because, I mean, like I said, we didn't have that many lakes or anything around us, but we slowly started to uh, move out 
and fish some lakes. Uh, we get my father ended up getting a boat. We actually had a pontoon boat. Uh, we always went camping all the time on the Allegheny Reservoir uh, or Kinzu. Uh, but we were out there every single weekend of the summer, camping, throwing tents up on the shorelines, and just go fishing all day. And that's really one of my I mean, probably greatest memories um, as a child was just going camping every single weekend, fishing, camping. Uh, it was awesome. And then from there, I mean, honestly, I think the tournament side of it only came into play just because we just kind of ran into a couple tournaments that were going on as we were going camping for the weekend. And uh, I believe that kind of sparked my dad to want to kind of try out one of the uh, tournaments because we fished uh, trout tournaments where they'll actually tag the trout. You catch a fish, take the tag out, take it in for prize, whatever that is. Uh, but going in and seeing the walleye tournaments kind of uh, really piqued my father's interest. Uh, he actually fished a couple of them. And then I believe I was nine years old. I'm like, Dad, I'd really love to fish one of these tournaments and uh, ended up starting to fish tournaments with him at nine years old. We knew nothing about walleye fishing at all. And I believe it took about five years before we ever even uh, got into the top 10 in a finish. But uh, we just kept after it. And I mean, now going out uh, to either Kinzu or wherever, it's like we know every single stump or break line or rock pile. And it just drove us to want to do better because we sucked so bad at them tournaments. <laughs> well, so tell me about that. Was that like local circuits? Did you or did you jump right into some bigger tournaments that were like 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 what what kind of tournaments or derbies are you talking about? I uh, just local tournaments. I mean, back when we first started, there was actually a lot of guys that fished these tournaments. So there'd be 50, 60, 70 boats at every one of these tournaments. Uh I mean, not super expensive or anything to get into, but it was just still the tournament side of it that we just really really loved and never wanted to get away from it and actually that tournament circuit once we finally started doing good enough uh, we actually qualified for the national team championship uh, the one year I believe we I think it was we got second or so for uh, team of the year and that qualified us to get in to go to it was Milford Lake in Kansas for the national team championship and going to that event right there was probably the coolest thing ever. And that was the one tournament that really made me say that, like, this is what I want to do. What were the things that you felt like you realized right away were your biggest deficiencies? Like, like if you look back on it now, like, what were the bigger ticket items? Like, the top three or four particular skills or strategy, you know, or bullet points? Like, like what were the things that you had to grow the most to start being competitive in tournaments. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So number one for sure would uh, be understanding just the migration of the walleyes with the spawn and everything. We did not know about that. The reservoir, these fish move all the time and springtime, they go all the way up the river and then slowly work their way back down after the spawn. Uh, we honestly didn't know really any of that. Uh, starting out and that's probably the biggest thing you have to learn because that's I mean a huge way to pattern walleyes 
Uh, probably one of the easiest ways to at least get an idea, especially if you're going to a new body of water. It's the easiest way to at least get an idea where these fish are going to be at um, just throughout the time of the year. Uh, number two would be to never get stuck on one spot. I mean, we always used to do that, and that that can be a killer, especially in a reservoir because fish are moving constantly, 100% of the time. I mean, a lot of these times, these fish are only on these spots for a day, and then they're gone. So, I mean, that was a huge one that we had to really, really grow out of because when we started, we just fished the areas that we caught fish before and that just doesn't work in tournament fishing i mean it does work sometimes but you got to be willing to move and uh i'd say number three was honestly just getting into different techniques when we first started out it was a lot of jigs and night crawlers and like pulling bottom bouncers around with live bait and now i mean probably have 10 12 different techniques that we're gonna I mean, break out and try throughout the day. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's also a huge one because you got to be ready to, uh, go trolling. If, if you have to, if these fish are super deep set up on break lines, you got to be ready to go trolling lead core. If these fish are super shallow. You got to get ready to get the jigs out, pitch up shallow when the wind's blowing that way on that shoreline, get whatever out you need. You just gotta, you gotta be ready and willing to switch up at any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So being where you're from, Pennsylvania, like I haven't spent a whole lot of time in Pennsylvania. So within the state, like where like where do you live in within the state of Pennsylvania? Like how far are you? I mean, you talk about the reservoirs that are around you. You've got a little bit of a practice arena there. But I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, your career has taken you to all the big time walleye destinations across the Midwest and beyond like you're from, you know, like you said, a little bit of an obscure town in Pennsylvania, man. Like, what does it mean to you? Like, can you look even like now and just sort of articulate to us or to yourself, like, like what it's really been like to go to Lake Erie and figure out that ocean or go to Green Bay and fish competitively, like right alongside, you know, some of the best sticks that have been in the industry for 20 plus years, like, you know, going out to the Western reservoirs, like talk to me about some of the big tournament experiences that you've had that you feel like have really like been a big influence on you that just really stick out as uh, you know, just part of your career. Yeah. I mean, so in Pennsylvania, I live literally two hours away from Lake Erie. If I go straight North and okay, if I want to okay. go to Ohio, it's directly West uh, two hours, so not too crazy far into Pennsylvania. But, I mean, driving out to all these different lakes and stuff, uh, especially the first year I did it was, I mean, uh, super overwhelming. But I'd say the biggest year for me was 2018, the first year I started. I mean, it was amazing just everything I was learning just by going to these events I mean, seeing other guys. And, I mean, I just went for it, so I had to learn it. And I mean, Lake Winnebago, huge one, uh, kind of similar like reservoir fishing because the fish are always constantly moving. And that year we also hit Green Bay. I mean, also a 
huge learning experience there because these lakes are just all so different from each other. And it's just, I mean, like crazy to wrap your mind around trying to figure these places out, especially when you have, I mean, guys out there that have been doing this forever and they just know it like the back of their hand. So, I mean, really, I mean, just jumping into it. I mean, that was my, I mean, biggest year out there just to learn all this stuff. And it was a super cool experience. And that 2018 was your first year fishing on the pro side of the NWT. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. So tell me how that season went, you know, looking back on it, I know it's a few years ago now, but like, how did you like day one, the first day of the first pre-fish for the first tournament, what were your fears, hopes, and dreams uh, for that season? And then looking back on it now, can you say like, like what actually happened? What came true? What met your expectations? And what was just like crazy about it? Oh man, that first tournament, I'll be straight up honest with you. I was just, I was so lost and clueless when I got to the lake. It's like, man, what did I get myself into? And, but I honestly just kept pushing through it. And I was actually at that tournament super early. I was there for like, I believe it was almost 10 days before the tournament. Cause I wanted to go there and like try to get my bearings somewhat, but overall, I mean, it was, it was an awesome year because I had two wins the first year. I had a win on the national walleye tour and I had a uh, win for the champions tour catch record release on uh Millax. I mean, so that, I mean, it was an insane year and going into it, I mean, obviously you want to win all of them, but I just wanted to go there and just fish it and just see what happened and try to figure this out. And it was just amazing to be able to have two wins because that honestly just kept me in the game because if I want to cash that first year, there was probably no chance of me coming back a second year just because I mean, I saved up all of my money to go do this, and I was going to spend it all. No matter what, I was going to fish the whole season. I was going to do it all, give it my all, and whatever happened, happened at the end of it, and I got very lucky to uh, catapult my career, I mean, right off the right off the start. So it was an awesome year. Do you, do you feel like uh, you've established a favorite sort of destination tournament destination body of water that's not close to where you're from like like when you look on the calendar or you or when the schedules come out for the NWT are you ever just like does your mouth just water when you see any one particular body of water oh absolutely I mean probably almost number one on my list which a lot of people don't like is the Mississippi River in summertime. That is just the coolest place ever, in my opinion. And I just absolutely love it. I love river fishing. Uh, we don't do enough of it, but we actually do go to quite a few of them. But I just love river fishing because I can almost just kind of put the electronics away just for a trip. I mean, they're still very important, still have to use them. But it's so cool to me to just read the water and... I mean, really try to predict where these fish are going to be at just by looking at the current, looking at the color of the water. I just absolutely love it. And uh, other than that, I love, love Devil's Lake just because uh, it is just, 
I mean, the coolest body of water out there. We have so much different structure. I love fishing structure. And Devil's Lake has endless amounts of structure. So any lakes with structure in them are definitely my cup of tea. The fishing opportunities across the state of Montana are phenomenal. If you're from there or you've already been there a bunch to experience it, you know just how special these opportunities are. If you haven't, fishing out west should absolutely be on your bucket list. But aquatic invasive species like zebra mussels and Eurasian water milfoil can harm recreational opportunities. As boaters, as anglers, we have the ability to help protect Montana's waters by cleaning all mud, plants and debris off our boat, recreational equipment, and fishing gear before we leave any access sites. Drain the water from your motor, your live well, your bilges, and allow your boat and equipment time to dry before your next outing. No matter what watercraft you use, please, if you're traveling in the state of Montana, stop at all inspection stations. Together, we can protect Montana's waters. Visit the link in the description of this podcast for more information. That's fwp.mt. .gov backslash AIS. Right on, man. Right on. So what would you say is like your style of fishing? Like if, like if somebody, you know what I mean? Like if there's 50 professional anglers out there, you know, based on life experience and just, you know, whether it's competition or whatever, you know, even if you're proficient at a lot of things, most most people inside their head have like a style, preferences, or just like, just sort of a, you know, just sort of like just how you think, how you tick, like how you want things to go. Like, how would you describe that for yourself? Yeah, I mean, 100%, I'm a power fisherman. I love going fast as possible, like pull up on a spot, fish it as fast as you can for 10 minutes and roll to the next, just constantly always moving, can't sit still, horrible at throwing live bait anymore because I don't have the patience for it because I just love going to try to find active fish. Like if, okay, so there's fish here, but they're not really biting yet. They're not really doing anything. So, all right, done with that school, moving on to the next to try to find the next school of fish that's going to bite. Always looking for active fish, always casting for them in any possible way i mean like something like jigging wraps i mean fastest way you can fish a spot is to just chuck jigging wraps all over it i mean you can work them so fast and cover it and so power fishing is i mean my absolute favorite thing to do and i find myself getting away from trolling more and more even though it's i mean super effective but I just keep slowly working my way away from trolling because I just have so much confidence that I can actually go out and catch a fish with a jig and rod in my hand. Like, is it just purely, you know, just purely your personality that makes you, uh, you know, think that way? Or are there some fishing experiences that have just sort of taught you that that's a good tournament strategy? Ah, there've been tons and tons of experiences where like, even in the last say 20 minutes of a tournament, I would just roll up to a spot and pull up onto a point or hump or whatever. You make a couple casts and you just instantly, boom, catch a couple fish, uh, especially in tournaments when you're right down to the wire, right down to the last few minutes. 
And it's happened just so many times that uh, you just cast in with 10 minutes left and you end up catching the one fish you needed, the two fish you needed. And I think that, because we always used to do that. We always used to pull up a spot, 10 minutes left, cast in, catch a fish. So I think when I kind of really started going on my own, it was I wanted that last 10 minutes of the day to just be all day. Just go find every spot that I can and just hope that you're going to land on that school and it's going to happen. And I just, I have so much confidence in it now that if you move around enough that you're just going to find, you're just going to find the fish that you need. Yeah, dude. I'm never going to forget what you just said. Make the last 10 minutes of a tournament all day. Make every 10 minutes the last 10 minutes and fish it like that. I mean, that is like, (laughs) oh my gosh, dude, you, yeah. Okay. Now we're on to it. All right. So let's get like, let's get into some stories. I feel like depicting stories, detailing, maybe a memory and how you remember it. Some of the details that mattered is a great learning experience. You know what I mean? So just imagine that a few of us are just sitting around at a fishing camp right now. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of asking you to tell me some fishing stories that are meaningful to you, uh, that would maybe describe kind of what you just said, like what would be a tournament, whether it was a long time ago or even just two weeks ago, whatever, like what have been, uh, some tournament stories that you could really break down for us or some instances where, um, you either build confidence in your strategy or maybe you learned something particularly cool about a spot or about a presentation or about yourself, like just any cool fishing stories that are meaningful to you, man, break it down if you could. Yes. I got two of them. One's the Mississippi river. Don't let me forget that one. Right on. But, uh, the first one would be just last year on Kinzu home body water for me. And uh, it was actually in June, and I was fishing with a younger fisherman. He was uh, 15 at the time, I believe. And uh, we were fishing in the morning, and there was absolutely nothing going on. We hit, like, two spots, and there was just nothing going on. So I'm like, well, this is we're done with this. We're scrapping everything that I found because these fish I mean, clearly moved, and they're gone. So we graphed around for three hours almost because the tournament started at seven eight nine ten so yeah that would have been three hours to kind of look for these fish because i only really spent about a half an hour in the morning fishing the spots that i uh, previously found fish on but we started graphing around till 10 o'clock and i could kind of see uh the little dude i was with he was kind of like ah man this ain't going good and uh we ended up rolling up over a break line after graphing for a couple hours and I look over on the side imaging. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, if these are fish, we just won the tournament. Like, no doubt about it. If these are walleyes, this is what we have to – I mean, we have to stay here all day and figure this out if they're all walleyes. And uh, we rolled right up onto this windblown shoreline, five foot of water, first cast, throw in walleye. I'm like, well, I mean, this it, – it's over. And we ended up just sitting there casting, 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 fish, 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 fish. Uh, a lot of smaller ones. And we ended up catching a nicer one, nicer one here and there. And uh, ended up having an okay little box right there. I'm like, yeah, that's not too bad. I'm like, let's just roll down the shoreline just a little bit here. And 
we roll down the shoreline 100 yards and side imaging lights up again. I'm like, well, this is the one. Let's get up here and start doing it. We throw it on spot lock. And uh, first cast was a 23-and-a-half-incher, which is a giant for Kimzu. And second cast was a 20-incher. Third cast was a 21-and-a-half. And, a half. and I, we pretty much knew we had it locked up. Because anytime you can get a bag in the uh, teens for five fish, a weight in the teens for five fish, I mean, it's it's over. Uh, I mean, we were both just, I mean, so pumped. But that tournament there just taught me that, I mean, you just have to trust your electronics. You have to just, I mean, go with your gut because I knew right away in the morning that it was, I mean, everything that we found previously was completely over. I would be the guy that would, my confidence would be shot after, you know, and, and it would have taken me a lot longer than a half hour to fish my spots from pre-fish. So it would have been noon before I realized that I was SOL there. And my confidence would have been so shot that I would have just probably drug bait or whatever around what I could previously assumed was my best spot. And I would have finished way, you know, in the bottom of the pack in that particular tournament. So when I hear you say it, I mean, I, I just, you know, I can already tell like that's such a fishy deal. But tell me a little bit about it. Like, was it, um, you know, you talk about a windblown um, break line. You know, was it, uh, you know, was it a deep break line? Was it something obvious? Was it something maybe, you know, overlooked by everybody else? Do you feel like, uh, you know, and what, how did you decide what to throw right away? Or, you know, uh, you know, some of those details, man, if you can remember that stuff, I think that'd be really juicy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, number one with the spot was all the stuff that I found pre-fishing was I mean, a little bit deeper, say 20 feet to 15 feet, which is really not that deep, but I was fishing a lot of different break lines, humps, rock piles, um, in the pre-fish where there was fish on and areas like that, you can break down super quick just by graphing. I mean, you can just drive right over top of them. And a lot of the times you'll be able to see them fish very easily on your 2d sonar. But, Starting out in like the morning, say, just going to the few spots that I had where I just felt confident that there would be fish. I literally just went there, covered them quick, fast. I mean, no bites, no indication that there was even fish there, nothing on the fish finder. So, I mean, number one, that tells me they're they're gone. So, got to go start looking. And then from there, I mean, just honestly, I went graphing just to cover them spots. Like I said, them small areas just drive over them quick. I mean, you can cover so much water just by graphing. I mean, you have to trust your electronics, but, uh, getting to the spot. I mean, the spot that I found, I mean, not being able to find anything out deep told me, well, I got to go shallower or way deeper and ended up going way shallow. And that's where I seen them on the side imaging. It was only like five foot of water. And, uh, when they were just stacked up on that windblown shoreline, I mean, number one, I mean, it's, it's kind of a pretty known thing that windblown shorelines can hold fish. And I'm like, well, I mean, the wind's been pounding over here for days. So let's just cruise over here and see. And I mean, they were just, I mean, packed in there. And I mean, really going with the baits. I mean, you got to go with something you have confidence in. And what I have confidence in is, I mean, either throwing plastics or jigging wrap. I just, I love throwing a three eighths ounce jig with just a four inch, uh, like, like a scent of jerk shads. I mean, 
just huge confidence at it in that. And if there's fish there, I just have confidence that I'm going to get them to bite. What's your setup? Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about your, uh, you know, your power fisherman, you've got a couple of identified confidence baits that, you know, are kind of your go-tos initially. Um, I imagine you're proficient in a lot of things. Are you the kind of guy that has a ton of rods rigged up on the deck, ready to go every day? Cause you just expect to go through them. Um, or you got those two confidence baits tied on and that's pretty much what you spend 90% of your time with. Well, I got a bunch of different rods rigged up. I mean, all depending on the year or the time of the year. But, I mean, I always have my confidence baits, 100%. Got my plastic there. I got a jig and wrap ready to go if the time of the year is right. And, I mean, beyond that, I mean, I'll have a crankbait rod tied up. I mean, I'll have, I mean, really a whole bunch of different things that I just always have tied up, ready to go. I mean, slower options, faster options, and then just my confidence rods. Do you have, are you particular about your setups? You got to be a little bit particular about your gear and your setups when we're talking jig wrapping or you're, you know, pitching jigs are, you know, do you, do you have major preferences one way or the other for say mono versus braid on your main line? Is that situational? Like break me down some of your setups and give me some recommendations there. Yeah. I mean, I'm a braid guy a hundred percent. So pretty much all my rods have anywhere from eight pound to 15 pound braid on them at all times. I'm not a mono fan. I know there's a lot of guys that love mono and I mean, it's whatever works for you, but for me, braid, is a hundred percent the way to go just because you can feel everything, especially if you're say even fishing in, in the wind, uh, you could just, I mean, feel the bite so much better, even if you have a big bow in your line. And, uh, number one, I, I love the action. It gives the lures and with jigging wraps, I feel like you have to have braid to get that. I mean, super good snap. I mean, just solid rips every time. And, uh, from there, I mean, I just, I always run a fluorocarbon leader anywhere from eight to 17 pounds, given the conditions also. I mean, if you're in real snaggy stuff or zebra mussels, always got to step up your main line or, well, I guess your fluorocarbon leader. But for me, I always run probably a six foot leader anymore. I always used to do small leaders, say two foot long, but anymore, uh, I always have probably a six foot leader on doesn't matter really what the water conditions are. Um, I just love the longer fluorocarbon leaders, but for me, every single rod has braid on it all the time. To me, I can take so much away from a fun story like that and just kind of, it would gives me more confidence. And it's like that reminder, that great example that, you know, even if you're not fishing a tournament, it's the same. I mean, I don't know. This is probably the most repetitive thing I say when I'm talking to tournament anglers is that non-tournament anglers should and ought to be paying attention to this sort of stuff because you can get so much from it. Even if you're not fishing a tournament, we all have the same experience. We all go out and we start the day fishing a few memories and, you know, which is like the equivalent of a pre-fish. And, mm-hmm. and it takes, it takes the better part of the best bite window or the best part of the day, you know, to figure out whether that's going or not. And it's, as we all know, regardless of where you're from, regardless of the body of water, if you target walleyes, well, any species, but walleyes are, they move all the time. 
then your day's kind of busted. And then, and then that's really like how quickly you can decipher that. And then what you do about it uh, with confidence is like really what so many of us just leave on the table, even if it's just an average day of fishing, much less a tournament for a bunch of money. Like it's really, it's so, so, so similar just to be a just to learn and be a more proficient angler. It's like, those are the same things I got to be thinking about on any day of fishing, but I don't know. So I don't know. I take so much away from it and stories like that, but you did mention that the Mississippi river has a story for us. You also mentioned the Mississippi river is one of your favorite places in the summertime, which I agree. River fishing does take a, it, it sort of has the front seat early spring, and then it takes a back seat in the summertime and, you know, when we, when we talk about, you know, walleye fishing and tournament walleye fishing, like, you know, rivers are just cool right away. When we talk about spawning migrations and whatever, they typically fish the best early, or they're just the only fishing opportunity early because of ice out and things like that. Um, but you know, any, you know, talking about that Mississippi river, uh, story, let's get into that. I want to, I want to hear about that and pick your brain on it. Yeah. I mean, the Mississippi story is probably one of my best memories. Um, I mean, it may not take a whole lot away from it, but it is one of my favorite memories, uh, tournament fishing. And it was, uh, my dad and I, we were actually at a national team championship event and it was on, uh, pool eight, uh, lacrosse, Wisconsin. I believe it was pool eight. And we were fishing on day one of the tournament, probably, well, we had an hour left of the day. And we had an okay box, and we were kind of, all right, yeah, that's not bad, that's not bad. But uh, we ended up rolling into this one hole on the river, and we were, we were throwing willow cats. And I, I have not caught a fish casting a willow cat yet, ever, ever. Never, ever caught a fish on a willow cat yet. Uh, my dad was actually the one catching the fish on willow cats. And uh, we roll in this hole with an hour left on the first day. And, I mean, I believe it was the very first cast I threw into this hole, threw it over the edge, let it roll down. I feel thump, thump. I'm like, well, what do I do now? And he's like, well, let the line go for a minute. As I let it free spool there. And he's like, all right, we'll lock it up and set the hooks. So I locked it up, started cranking, set the hooks. I'm like, I don't know. It's got to be a catfish. This thing's way too big. And ended up getting it all the way up to the top of the water, and it rolls up over, and it's like an eight-pound walleye. And we scooped this thing up, and we both just started yelling and screaming. You would have thought we just won the whole tournament. Uh, I mean, we were freaking hugging, high-fiving. Everyone on the lake heard us, or I guess the river. And it was just uh, one of the coolest memories um, I don't even know why exactly it sticks out so much, but it was just one of the coolest memories I think I've ever had tournament fishing. And, uh, we were in fourth place after that day. So it was, uh, ended up getting fourth place overall in the whole event after all three days. And, uh, just one of the coolest stories I got for walleye fishing. Why do you think like, you know, I mean, I, I just, I love that part. I love thinking about sort of the psychology behind you know why certain memories stick out to us and sometimes it is kind of tricky you know um do you feel like 
you know, maybe having your dad in the boat and maybe it being something that you guys did together had a lot to do with it because I think that, you know, family and a good support system is huge when it comes to, you know, a, a competitive fishing, you know, just having that, having that support system that allows you to fish, you know, where it's fun, you know, like you said, it might've been your first decent fish or first fish at all that you caught, you know, with a willow cat, which is kind of a crazy thing for, you know, people that ain't from, you know, will that willow cat deal on the Mississippi river is just crazy. Um, it's kind of yeah. a weird deal. I mean, why do you feel like, like, you know, you said you don't know, but if we just critically thought here for a second, do you feel like you could at least touch on maybe why that was kind of a big deal to you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, it, it just probably was because it was the most exciting moment. I think my dad and I have ever had in the boat, uh, just because, I mean, I mean, there was 285 boats at this tournament and we just landed a giant fish. I mean, that put us in fourth place. We knew it. We knew we had a giant box and just the excitement we had was, I mean, just lights out. It was crazy. Never, never were that excited for a tournament ever. I don't think so. And, um, just do it with my dad was even better at the biggest tournament, uh, that you can go to every year. So it was just the excitement. The excitement was probably why it sticks out so much. And yeah, like in the last hour of day one, where you're there, you know, you, you, when you get to the last hour, even the most confident angler has to have some sort of realistic, like understanding that, you know, the clock is ticking and, you know, the greatest day ever fishing may or may not happen today, you know? Yeah. So like those having it happen, later in the day versus earlier in the day has to contribute to those emotions. I imagine. Oh, it does because that last hour gets the best of me. That's one thing that I really have to work on is the last hour because that's when I start losing confidence if nothing's going right, but you can't because that last hour is the most important hour because you got to get it done. So you got to go and just keep looking. And a lot of times, which what I'm really trying to get away from is that last hour you try to lock down on something and I don't because you just feel like you don't have any time left so you just want to lock down and just fish yeah but I honestly don't think that's the answer and trying to learn to get away from that as much as possible to where just go out and continue what I do I think that is phenomenal advice that's seasoned you know competitive angler advice there from a young man I think that's awesome man i I think it's great. I think all those personal experiences are just great to listen to. You know, it's easy listening for us when we're driving down the road. The stories kind of entertain us. But I'm always trying to, you know, I'm always trying to ask those questions to kind of learn a little bit and maybe kind of take something away, whether it's a gear recommendation, um, you know, and your confidence in braid can, you know, is definitely meaningful. Like, you know, for those of us that are kind of, not a hundred percent sure, you know. I mean, with somebody like you, really sticks to braid that heavily. That can be just a great recommendation for anybody. And and uh, you know, just talking about breaking down water and just maintaining consistency, you know, all through even to the last ten minutes of a tournament. If there's a spot that you can get to and you can make five casts on, you you can upgrade your bag, you know, without a doubt. And even on 
even on an average day of fishing, I can just think of all the times where I wish I would have done that, even just fishing for myself recreationally. I, I wish I would have just not given up on a tough day because I just leave, you'd leave so much on the table, I think, for just an opportunity to learn something, an opportunity to, you know, catch a fish. It's one thing. But none of us are so perfect and awesome at catching fish that we couldn't use some of that experience and just some of the confidence that might come from it to just maybe even get a little better. Um, so I just, I don't know, I just, I take a lot away from that. I think that's phenomenal, Dylan. Um, you know, that being said, we're really strong for time. I can't ask you for any more stories unless we just want to start over and do a whole nother one of these. But um, yeah, that being said, though, um, I just, I don't know, man, I just really like it. And I really appreciate the time. What would be, you know, any, anything that, uh, you know, you're, you're active on social media. Uh, a lot of people see you, they know you like, you know, are there any questions or are there any topics that you feel like you're constantly being asked something that, uh, you know, is just, you know, questions that you feel like you're always answering to your fans or just people on the street or something that we could address right now? I mean, honestly, probably the biggest thing I get is usually about tournament fishing. And I mean, the biggest piece of advice that I could give is to never give up and don't lose your confidence. That's um, even if you're out fun fishing, you cannot give up. I mean, looking for the fish. I mean, there's fish out there willing to bite at any time of the day on anywhere in the lake. So my biggest advice is to never give up on the fish because they're somewhere biting. We can wrap this up uh, for real this time. If you uh, just want to throw out your socials, your, you know, promote anything that you want to promote, uh, whatsoever give a shout out wherever you want content related anything like that um that way if people have questions um or just want to be into whatever you're into let them know man right now yeah absolutely i mean dylan newsbaum fishing is on instagram facebook youtube uh TikTok. So, I mean, if you want to reach out on any of them ones, send me a message. I try to get back to them as soon as possible. So, any questions, even if you just want to send a message and say hi, Dylan Newspawn Fishing all the way across the board. Right on, man. Dylan, well, it's your first time on, uh, but that being said, we are longtime fans. Everybody here at JMO, uh, we've always kind of got you in our peripherals because we just enjoy seeing uh, the young guys that are not scared to put in the legitimate work to break it down and just every time you come through the way uh the way stations whether it's on the live uh streams or whatever it is you're you're a class act uh definitely uh, a young professional and we just can't wait to see what you do for a really long time hopefully we stick around as long as you do and uh we can just do a whole bunch of these over the years but uh anyways i'll let you back to it for real this time dylan i appreciate the time Good deal. Absolutely. Anytime. I'd be super excited to come back on. I really appreciate it. Later. See ya. This episode of the JML Podcast is brought to you by Montana's Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Department. As anglers, we have the ability to help protect the wonderful fishing opportunities in the state of Montana. For more information on regulations or AIS prevention in the state of Montana, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast that is fwp.mt.gov backslash AIS.